banter. Hi there, and welcome to our Dairy Exporter podcast series on Fodder Beat. I'm Anne Lee. I'll be talking with Dr. Jim Gibbs from Lincoln University. And in this podcast, we're talking about yield assessment. So take a listen. We hope you enjoy. We talked to Jim about sampling methods that have been developed to overcome variability that's common across the paddock in terms of the plant size and quantity. And we also um, talked about sampling methods to assess the dry matter percentage of the plants, which is also surprisingly variable. We then discussed some of the things to be aware of when you are moving from beet on the milking platform to the wintering block in terms of allocation and assessing yields. We started the conversation though discussing how those methods were developed. In the earliest days when we understood that allocation was at the heart of good management of beet crops, we began to look more carefully at yield assessment. And one thing that was striking and interesting was sugar beet uh, is by f- overwhelmingly by far the greatest hectareage of the beet crops on planet Earth, the six odd million hectares of sugar beet and less than 100,000 hectares of fodder beet. So all of the work was really in sugar beet and the way that they assess uh, sugar beet is at harvest. So there's relatively little crop assessment that's done along the way and there really weren't very good methods at all for assessing a root crop like this. So we uh, began looking very carefully uh, at the different uh, approaches. So uh, a lot of people would be familiar with the older approaches on Brassica, throwing a square metre loop or square and things. So I remember um, looking at some of the replicates that people would have, and uh, one of the replicates would demonstrate that they had 42 tonnes, and the next replicate would demonstrate that they had 15 tonnes. And then they'd come up with a mean between these ones. It was crazy stuff. And nobody could, could work that out. And, and I think a lot of cows died on the basis of poor yield assessment in the early days. So um, myself and a fairly large group of um, really all the um, agronomists who worked seriously in beat at the time uh, spent uh, a project which we went published in New Zealand um, Journal of Agronomy on uh, proper beat assessment. Uh, and what we demonstrated in that was that the only effective way of assessing beet crops was to use meters, linear meters in a row, to do them in duplicate and to do them at a certain number across the paddock. So uh, what we demonstrated was that if you're taking less than five meters in a row, then your variation and your error jacks up markedly. So what we would typically do and what really became industry standard and uh, some of the larger companies who do uh, yield assessments now, uh, to their credit, picked up on this early. So they picked up on that method and have used it since. Or what they would do is they would use a, uh, a four or five linear meters and then do them in duplicate. So you take the row next to them and they'd weigh the leaf and they'd weigh the bulb and then take a bulb for dry matter out of each of those rows and then repeat that three or four times across the paddock. Right. But there's two things that come into play with yield assessment and you picking up on your point before, that variation is really strong across the paddock. Mm-hmm. Yes, variation in bulb size is really strong within your row even, mm-hmm. but you'll have uh, lighter areas and heavier areas across the paddock. 
From a feed budgeting point of view, you can take enough samples where you can get a bracket. Um, I, I don't like um, giving very specific yields unless it's a smallish paddock. As beet has grown in popularity, there's more and more very large stands being done. Uh, a number of the farmers I work with grow 200 hectares, 150 hectares. Now, in those cases, you need to be very careful about what you're saying from a feed budgeting point of view for the whole winter, for example. Mm -hmm. But we're not mostly concerned with that feed budgeting being particularly accurate. So, for example, I don't need to have a decimal point in my tonnage. Often what we would do realistically with that would be to give them a bracket of five tonnes. So I would typically yield these crops as you're between 20, 25, 25, 30. And that, I have some great confidence in your ability to do that on a larger scale. The second point, and one that's directly relevant to transitioning. For transition, I don't need to know what's at the back of the paddock. I don't need to know that at all. I need to know what I'm feeding in the next 14 days. Right. So when we're talking about uh, allocations for transition yields, we always do them at the point where you're working. So I don't need to know what's further down the paddock. That's a feed budgeting issue. Mm -hmm. and, and from my perspective, someone else can do that. Mm -hmm. I need to know what's being allocated. So Jim's talked about the importance of accurately assessing the area that the cows are going onto in that transition period, making sure that you know exactly what is in that area. Across the whole paddock, he's giving for a feed budgeting situation, he gives you a bracketed number, so a range, if it's a very large area, because of the difficulty in being accurate, because of the variability in size of crops uh, across a paddock. The other part, obviously, of assessing yield, though, is to understand the dry matter percentage within the plant itself. And Jim talks a little bit about, in this next section, the variability that you see there, and uh, some of the things you should do to make sure that that's accurate as well. Initially, when people started to try and assess yields, uh, dry matter percentages, they may have looked at book values or numbers associated with beet, but that beet and the information that was available was based on sugar beet that's harvested. So that threw up some interesting problems too. So we, were, we obviously weren't in a position to do that with grazing, so we had to work out uh, what was the variation in dry matter between bulbs. And in short, it was enormous. So one of the really early um, market share cultivars was Brigadier, and it's a multi-germ crop, so you'll have lots of doubles and triples, and etc. So you get lots of little bulbs and lots of big bulbs. Right. And within one crop planted at the same time, the same paddock, you can have a 100% variation between small bulbs and large bulbs in dry matter. So unless you were fairly careful, you, um, you could get some wonky results. So that um, original yield assessment study uh, that we mentioned earlier, we included another component by working with a Lincoln statistician here, Simon Hodge, and he did a lot of a particular um, statistical analysis called bootstrap, very effective way of working out what you need to do to reduce your variation. And what we showed with that by uh, subsequent studies being included in this was within a paddock, you, you tend to have quite a lot of bulbs that were within a similar bracket of dry matter and size. So although you do have really large bulbs and although you do have really small bulbs, when we express that against 
100 metre transects, for example, and we would weigh every bolt. We did this over and over and over. So we weighed a tremendous amount over a long period of time. Different cultivars, different crops, different times. What we showed with it was that, the, if you like, the median bulbs always represented the bulk. So what we suggest when people are taking dry matters is not necessarily to take the big ones or the small ones, but to take the median sized ones because they'll most represent the dry matter within the field. And while there's a tremendous variation between the big ones and the little ones, within that median, the variation is lower. But I'd say one important point here, we never use book values. In fact, um, I would suggest if anyone suggests to you use a book value, get them off the farm as quick as you can. They've just demonstrated that they're about to cost you a lot of money and they really don't know much about the field. So, you know, I hear this occasionally, guys would say, oh, something along the lines of what we're finding this year. Well, that's just nonsense. I mean, within two paddocks that are a kilometre apart, um, there's uh, so many factors that are involved in what the dry matter is that they can be so radically different, it, you can't possibly yield on that. So the one thing we're really firm on for transition allocation particularly is get a dry matter done. So, so actually get it assessed by sending it away to the lab. Yep. And right. if you want to do that dry matter yourself, so there's plenty of places that will come on site and do it for you, but if you wanted to do that one yourself, you can do two things. You can send the whole bulb and you put it in a curry bag and send it to one of the laboratories and uh, they'll subsample it. And the way that they'll subsample it is by quartering it. So one of the other issues is not only do the bulbs vary markedly themselves, big and small, but within the bulb there's differences in dry matter. So if you want a representative sample, you can't take a slice out of the middle, for example. Right. See people doing that. Right. So the dry matter would vary at the top and the bottom from the middle. And so the way to get a representative sample, and really the only way to get a representative sample from bulbs, is to cut them into quarters. Now if they're a huge bulb, you've got a huge crop, you might end up cutting it into a sixteenth, but but the concept is the same. You take the long axis of the bulb, cut, yep, right. you cut the leaf off, and you're cutting from your nice running from the crown right down to the, to the bottom, mm -hmm. and then you're cutting it in half that way, and you're cutting it in half the other way. Wrap it in cling wrap and send it off to the lab like that. And that's a representative sample of the bulb. And that's so you've got this long bulb. quarter. Yeah. You, yeah. you have that, that, that you have as much crown and as much um, of the, the base of it mm -hmm. as you did in the full bulb. So right. and you've got as much of the, the cortex mm -hmm. and as much of the core. Right. And you send the leaf separately in a separate bag. Just in it, yeah. yeah. Separate in another one. Mm -hmm. And the the leaf is much easier to do, but there's a tremendous variation in um, the leaf because the quality of the leaf varies across the season and with the agronomy that you use. So you send the whole top? Yeah, yeah, the whole that you the whole you, you cut the crown off with the leaf attached and send all that, right. and then you send your quarter. And you would normally have to do that on a few of your rows. So if you're measuring the rows, you'd be taking a dry matter from each of them. But you'll find within that crop that if the bulb size is similar, that they will be quite similar. Right. But they'll vary from year to year. Okay. So for example, with brigadier, I point out to farms quite regularly. I have held brigadier crops in my hand that was six percent dry matter. And I've held brigadier crops in my hand that were 19% dry matter. So um, nobody will tell you that there's a textbook value for them and it works. Right. It doesn't. That's a big variation. And 100% variation between um, years and cultivars, etc., is common. So farmers should be very careful about that dry matter assessment. Without that, the rest of your yield assessment means nothing. 
and don't believe somebody looking at the crop and saying it should be this or it should be that, you wouldn't know. Right. So it's particularly important too, I'm thinking, if you are grazing it on the platform and you're then moving your cows to your own runoff where you're wintering them, don't expect that they're going to be the same. Yeah, it's a great point, and and it's a um, in recent years it's been um, progressively more and more of a problem uh, on platform for lactation because of the issues we said before about not having the stick and only having the carrot. People would often plant some of the really palatable cultivars, mm-hmm. and um, t- typically how that's expressed itself is there's a very low dry matter one brigadier, and it's particularly palatable. So people would use that one on platform. Then they would send them off for wintering and they'd often have at their runoff they would have planted a higher dry matter one. And for mixed stage dairy cows in wintering, the cultivar that you use doesn't matter at all, they'll eat any part of it. It doesn't make any difference. So they'll have a higher dry matter when they get to the runoff. Now, even if their allocation um, is excellent, so for example, they've they've had a really good idea of their five kilos when they're feeding them in lactation. Mm. And they get up there and they um, would commonly drop that back to three kilos to start again. <clears throat> One of the problems that you face is that cattle uh, assess their intake by mouthfuls. They have no feeling for dry matter immediately. So they can't, they, if they're adapted to eating five kilos of Brigadier mm. at, let's say, 10% dry matter, and then you put them up onto one of the high dry matter varieties there, might well be 20% dry matter, they'll take the same number of mouthfuls because that's how they adapted to it. Right. So we said earlier that transitions in their head and they'll take the same number of mouthfuls, but now they're getting twice the dry matter and right. so they'll fall over. You have problems with that. Right. So and you, that would be an immediate yep. thing because I'm assuming they, they do quickly adjust to the... Yeah, three days. So within three days, they work out fast that there's something different here and that um, this is a new dry matter. So what we would typically say for people is that they would often be on, say, maximum of five kilos, that when they go up to the platform, we move them back to three kilos and then begin marching them up again. Now, that period, you've got enough slack in the system that they can even... 100% 100% changes aren't necessarily going to tip them over. Yeah. And by the time they get back to where they were, they're, they're back on track. Yeah. Very effective. Yeah. Okay. So that's podcast four in our series. Podcast five is all about what to do if your yield assessments come up a bit short and also what to do with those cows that are at a higher body condition score at the outset of the season or through the season. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.